concussions have been a pretty hot topic nowadays, looking at the links with CTE, looking at the links in youth sports as far as underdiagnosed, and looking at some recent stats, CDC estimates up to 3.8 million concussions per year in sports alone. So it's not even taking into account things outside of sports. It's obviously a huge number of individuals. So the question then is, where does PT exist in this realm, and what is our role in managing concussions for any individual? Welcome to Therapists in Motion podcast, brought to you by Spooner Physical Therapy. Welcome back to Therapists in Motion podcast. This is Dan. I'm joined again by Paul. Hello, hello. And uh, as he alluded to in our intro, today we're going to talk a little bit about concussions. Um, this is obviously something that gets a lot of popularity with, you know, CTE, sports injuries, but I want to first start, Paul, with something that we alluded to in our uh, Google PT whiplash that we did, uh, I think, two episodes ago, and how in individuals that have been in car accidents, you know, obviously we're looking at cervical spine, thoracic spine, all that stuff. But um, one thing I think that we typically don't always look at is the component of the uh, of concussions, and so I, I kind of want you to paint for our listeners things that a patient would present with following whiplash that would require us or encourage us to start looking at possible concussion or post-concussion related symptoms? Definitely. Good question. And I I should start, as I, much as I assume it should go without saying, I now often tend to be wrong when I assume people know everything with stuff. It doesn't have to have hit your head. You know, if the car accident doesn't require they hit their head on the dashboard or the steering wheel, or the airbag deployed, and those things. You can simply have a typical whiplash type of injury, and your brain is quite capable of moving in your head, and you can have a concussion. Yeah, so, I think that's a great point to bring up. I was looking at a diagram before you get back into that. I was looking at a diagram that's like skull brain, cerebrospinal fluid, right? And that's the, the, those are the structures. Well, that cerebrospinal fluid is viscous. It can move and become displaced. And then therefore, the cushioning between our brain and our skull is gone. Exactly. And so, yeah, I mean, I think that's a great point for our listeners to, to realize is the concussion doesn't have to be from blunt force trauma. And that also should pertain to anything your patient's coming to complain about. You know, let's say it is an athlete. It doesn't require a helmet-to-helmet hit. It doesn't require um, the person hitting the ground and striking their head. Sometimes it's as simple as a you know playing soccer. Someone takes a, a long pass. You turn to go back and don't realize someone else is making a run behind you to hit each other, and you end up with a head-forward, head-back whiplash type of motion. That can be enough for a concussion. It doesn't require direct trauma to the head. Yeah, I think there's an important component as I was doing some research in preparation for this podcast. They also reference concussions can come from excessive shaking. Mm-hmm. Um, so if we think about excessive shaking, that could be unrelated to actual like a blunt force trauma, like Paul said, but that could be a bottom up transfer of energy through their entire system that causes that excessive forward, back, forward, back motion through their brain slash skull. Exactly. So now that we've kind of said, all right, you don't have to guarantee a a hit to the head or a strike to the head occurred, what are some things you might look for subjectively? Obviously, some of the typical complaints of concussion can be anything you might see, pain, headaches, et cetera, kind of hard to delineate there. The things you start looking for is does the patient complain of dizziness? Does the patient complain of visual issues, whether it's a blurry vision or a double vision? 
uh, issues with focusing. And I don't mean focus as far as visual, but focusing upon a task, a subject, etc. especially someone who might be in school or learning or reading or anything. Um, just to circle back to the visual issues, it can often be they don't notice a lot unless they are reading specifically or in the car specifically. They have a hard time with signs. So don't limit yourself to, hey, have you had any trouble reading? No, I'm fine. You might think, well, yeah, they read books every day and they don't have any issues with it when they bust out their their iPad. Uh, but they maybe have some trouble noticing street signs, but they don't think that's going to be that big of an issue and they don't go into it. So remember, open-ended questions. Look at everything you possibly could. Um, changes in sleep patterns. Again, challenging because pain can certainly limit that. But if you have someone who's having a trouble sleeping or noticing different waking sleep patterns or especially greater fatigue, those are going to be definite signs. Uh, we know when there's pain going for a while, we can have more fatigue. But particularly if there is a challenge to the brain, the brain is working a lot harder than it typically does to perform its usual functions. As a result, the patient can have much greater fatigue. It's something I commonly see with most of my vestibular patients that they come in and concussion very much as well. And they wonder why they're always so tired and exhausted. And they some, sometimes want to sleep for 10, 12 hours. Well, their body's working harder than it's used to for general daily activities. So it's going to need a lot more rest to recover from those. Uh, personality changes, mood changes, things like that, that can be sometimes challenging for the patient to discern. You might need the spouse, significant other, mother, father, etc., brother, sister. Um, and again, as with all these things, pain can relate to a lot of them. Pain can cause changes in sleep. Pain can cause change in personality. Pain can cause focus changes. So none of these things guarantee, but it just should be queuing off something in your head to say, okay, some of these things don't quite smell right with just like a whiplash that's some irritation at the facet joint. There might be something deeper going on. Has this person been screened appropriately for a concussion? Yeah, I, th- I think you bring up some really good points there for our listeners to, to include in their subjective exam. Um, other things I would encourage them to to do, you know, going back to connecting it to somebody that comes in with a diagnosis of specific whiplash would be don't negate the balance and coordination component. Um, that may be a huge flag. I don't know if I want to call it a red flag, but probably a yellow flag that says, you know what, this, this could have a concuss concussion coinciding with this whiplash, um, as well as some sort of memory. Now that's the hard part is, is really testing the memory because, we have to ask questions that we know the answer to. Um, and, you know, unlike what is done in a lot of high school sports, especially here in Arizona, where, you know, contact athletes are required to take a pre-participation baseline testing measure, most of the time we don't have that with our patients unless some unless it is someone that we have treated previously. Um, so I, I would just encourage our listeners to – to check out on Google and look at for some just some standardized measures that re- relate to memory, um, Paul. If you have any specific que- uh, questionnaires that could be helpful, I think that's that's a component sometimes we don't think about. Uh, no, you're very correct. And again, if you just Google standardized tests for concussion, you'll find that the top couple results are all pretty reliable. And a lot of it comes back to some of your very simple things you see on stuff like the Mini Best and others. You know, can you count backwards from 100 by sevens? Can you, you know, say these three words and remember these three words? And I ask you again later. They're pretty simple things. A lot of us have probably utilized in school and kind of forgot existed. And they can be very, very beneficial in this uh, patient population. So thank you. That's a very good point to bring up. So b- before we transition to sport, um, can you can you spend a little time from your professional course sequences and your experience treating individuals with 
with concussion related symptoms on how how our therapists can kind of structure a program to help this individual reduce their concussive related symptoms so first thing you need to look at is time frame um this is something that has definitely changed relatively recently i should say but most everyone seems to be agreeing that the recovery time for a concussion itself is about 14 days or two weeks in that first 14 days it should be relative rest and that used to be much longer i used to have a lot of patients that the doctors would send them in with earplugs and all kinds of things for the first sometimes up to two months just trying to rest the brain we're showing now that you need to be or you should be more aggressive with the returning to activities to the patient's tolerance obviously but that first 14 days is just not time to do that. So make sure they're outside the first 14 days before you really go too crazy into things. Then as far as developing the program, it's going to be a lot of techniques you usually use in therapy, but understanding how to bring things back incrementally based upon the challenges that they might have in their day. So starting with your relatively closed environment, low complexity um, tasks, maybe it might be some simple vestibular exercises, just some simple uh, typical exercises, cardio, cardio intervals, that type of thing in a easy, stress-free, light environment. And you're going to build that person up in complexity to a more open environment, more things happening. Hopefully, you're going to add some sort of mental cognition challenge to that person. So they're not only going to be doing a vestibular exercise, but also answering questions you might be asking them or going through some sort of mental task. Again, you could be as simple as count backwards uh, from 100 by 7s, by 3s, by 8s, by whatever you feel like doing. I A lot of times we'll have patients, especially if it's a home program driven, I'll use the alphabet. Say go in alphabetical order, do boys' names, do girls' names, do sports teams, do capitals, do dog breeds. Do whatever you want. Just It doesn't have to be a challenging thing. You could ask them 2 plus 2, 3 minus 1. The is just, are you making them think? Are you challenging their brain? Because again, the concussion, we're talking about a trauma to the brain. So it's not just a physical thing to treat. We want to make the brain work. If you're doing nothing but focusing on the single activity that the patient is trying to perform, then they will get better at that single activity. Then they'll go into real life where they're thinking about 18 things at once, focused on what's happening around them, looking at their busy stimuli and environment, trying to do that one thing, and suddenly they find themselves unsuccessful. Well, yeah, because we've never trained the brain to function in a open, loud, crazy, hectic environment where you're thinking about your grocery list, your stuff to do at home, your dog needs to be clean, and the children need to get somewhere. So it's always a little bit of a build them back up into that challenging environment and best replicate function. We talk about function all the time. Here, function just goes beyond movement. Function also goes into how is your brain functioning throughout the entirety of your day. Yeah, I think that's a great component to bring about that you've taught me with some of some of my patients and I see you do on a very consistent basis is that cognitive component to the vestibular exercises. Um, and, and for those therapists that don't feel very comfortable treating a patient with vestibular dysfunction, you can still challenge their brain during a traditional PT exercise to add in that cognitive component that's not necessarily vestibular related, but that will still probably help them just simple mm-hmm. due to neuroplasticity. Um, so I think that's a, that's a huge tidbit there. The other thing I do want to bring up uh, that Paul talked about just briefly with the, with the cardio component is, you know, really making sure that you monitor their heart rate, especially early on, because 
even if they're not returning to sport, if they're just returning to daily life, there's still probably going to be times in their day where their heart rate elevates and that heart rate elevating could be a trigger for concussion type symptoms. So monitoring their heart rate during any activity really, um, but specifically light, you know, cardio exercise, you know, usually they say in, in, in the beginning parts of, of, of concussion rehab, and this is from the national Ath- athletic training associations guidelines it's it's about 70 percent or less than those initial stages and then as they continue to show positive progressions with and and minimal symptoms for 24 plus hours after uh, a session then you can start to gradually increase that that heart rate as well as adding those other components that paul alluded to when you said 70 you're talking to the max predicted heart rate correct yeah max heart rate yeah 70 percent of max heart rate I like it. That's very correct. And also remember, we just talked about a lot of different things. Don't try to throw every single <laughs> um, challenge at the individual at one time. Build the different challenges uh, sequentially. So maybe you make a more open environment or maybe you add a cognition challenge or maybe you add a different surface or maybe you allow them to increase their heart rate beyond something. Because again, cardio intervals are a great thing to do for individuals. You don't want to go just vestibular rehab or just exercise. It's getting everything incorporated, but build them up. So the progression isn't just sets and reps. The progression is adding these different things. But I like to add one at a time. I like to start with just the exercise and if they do well after that, when well, I mean, they were fine in the session. I got the response I wanted. Maybe the next session, I start adding a simple cognition. So you, you build upon each thing step by step and not throw all five, six, seven challenges at one time at the person. All right. So, <clears throat> you know, I still want to get to what it looks like in, in the world of sport because I think that's the hot topic. But that's not the majority of the cases that we're probably going to see in physical therapy. We're probably going to see the non sport related concussion because if they're in youth sports or high school sports or college sport that's probably going to be fairly consistently managed by the athletic trainer um but i want to i kind of want to spend a little time for you to talk about that component of focus and that that task oriented focus not like oh great there's a blue car i'm really easily distracted um because i I think that's a component that sometimes we forget about. Um, so kind of correlate that to like an individual returning to, to school and or returning to work in their job function and how we can help determine and, and educate that that individual on what that's going to look like and, and what that means as part of their brain, quote unquote, healing and learning to adapt. No, great, great point. So like you said, I mean, I'm seeing more and more physical therapists being a part of groups looking at concussions. And as I'm seeing more frequently, large groups having someone to look at the mental piece, someone to look at the physical piece, someone doctor to do actually getting all the professions together because you need a team approach to treat an individual post-concussion. So I'm seeing more PTs be involved. But as you said, a lot of times an ATC is often overseeing the sports rehab uh, physical component of things. So a lot of times patients, depending on your, your environment are going to be a non-sporting individual. Or even if they are a sports individual, and maybe you're seeing them, I think you even talked earlier, Dan, how a lot of times we might see them just for neck pain. and say, Oh, yeah, they also have a concussion going on. A lot of times it might be a younger individual who is in school, uh, whether it's middle school, high school, college, etc. I talked earlier about the first 14 days trying to be a relative rest period. Well, this is where it's quite challenging because not a lot of people are willing to just take two weeks off of school. And that's even assuming that those two weeks is enough recovery time for the individual. It's not guaranteed. 
So here becomes the great challenge of, this is kind of similar to a lot of patients, where you try to get them to back down on activities, but realistically, just stopping all of them isn't quite going to work. One, this is where I recommend having good relationship either with a physician who is very knowledgeable in concussions or just being very comfortable reaching out to whoever this individual's physicians or other medical team is. Having them assist with letting professors, teachers, whoever the individual is, understand that right now it's going to, one, take this person a lot longer because of the focus issues, just as Dan's talking about, the inability to get through reading a chapter in your textbook, the inability to focus on problem solving through the arithmetic of a math equation, the, the whatever that challenge is for the individual. They're going to take longer, and it's going to then be more stress on their brain, which is going to make it more likely for their recovery to become a greater duration, more likely to have those post-concussive syndromes, which the more likely you are to have that, the more likely it is to have another concussion, the more likely you are to have more issues down the line, neurodegenerative issues, et cetera, et cetera. It goes on forever. So resting appropriately is huge and helping the patient understand those exact things. I will sit down and talk to the patient about, I, I can't predict the future. I don't know what's going to happen, but we need to understand what are the risks of not taking care of this. Especially because if this is a person in school, they're probably young and healthy and think they're perfectly fine. Everything's going to bounce back. And I think everyone out there who's been through school and endured some type of injury of any type realizes that you pay for it later. So helping them understand you need to rest, you need the importance of resting your brain. You can talk back to some of the things we see with the CTE and professional athletes. You're not going to tell them they're going to develop it, but there's a lot of research showing if you have two or more concussions, you're at a much greater risk of neurodegenerative conditions occurring. And that's not something that you want to be playing with or risking. So helping them understand how to pace through their day. Don't sit there and try to do all of their homework at one time. Do things in short bouts. Give your brain successful rest. If you know there's a time of day when you struggle, don't do things during that time of day. Plan it around successful times. Plan it around times in which there's less going on. Don't be afraid to remove yourself and go to a quiet environment. If you actually have a Barnes and Noble that still exists, you know, maybe you want to go there because no one goes there. So you'd be the only person there. But, you know, take yourself out of a busy, hectic environment. Go to something that's going to help you focus what you need to do. Perfect world. You take two weeks off of school. Real world, that ain't going to happen. So you're going to do the best you can to minimize your challenges, pace yourself out, do things in short bursts, give your brain enough rest time. And definitely when I say rest, I don't mean just rest in between, but rest at the end of the day. Let it recover. It needs that appropriate sleep to actually be able to heal and do what it needs to do naturally. Yeah, I think as I reflect on some of the athletes that I managed when I was in undergrad as an athletic trainer and one really two really, really bad concussions. Um, one from a football player who on the bus ride home every five minutes was asking if they won the game. Um, you know, it, looking back on it, like that kid had a fairly significant concussion and I, him going back to class was very challenging for him. Um, I didn't manage that athlete as much as I managed another one. We were playing a exhibition game at Gonzaga and he hit the floor pretty hard and I took him out and the Gonzaga athletic trainer came over and we took him through some screening tests and questions and he passed all of them with flying colors. And then by the end of the game, he was all sorts of loopy and luckily there was a neurosurgeon <laughs> there at the game. Um, 
on Gonzaga's medical staff and came over and, and rescreened him and said, you know, I don't think he needs to go to the hospital, but here's the things I really want you to, to look for. And he said, I really want to make sure from an academic standpoint that the next week is relatively easy on him. I'm like, well, unfortunately he's pre-med, he's in a lot of science-based classes and that's, that's going to be really hard. He's like, okay, well then if he's going to be pushing his brain academically, you really need to not push his brain from a re- return to sport standpoint. And I think that that's part of where we, as Paul alluded to, need to be a part of that medical team that we're educating and being involved in that conversation and knowing what the athletic trainer is managing during their time with them, knowing what that physician is, is doing, knowing what the parents' expectations are for those children mm-hmm. because the parents might be the ones that are pushing them more aggressively than we realize or holding them back more than we realize, right? And and, and I can understand as a parent both ends of those spectrums. Um, so I, I think you gave some really big hitters on there for people to, to think about. And you're, you're dead on. Like you said, especially being on the same page as the whole medical team, we want to know what they're doing and that way we can all support each other. You know, sometimes one unifying voice is a lot better than eight different voices. Uh, so if we're all saying the same thing and we're even contacting each other to use similar messages, it can be a lot stronger, particularly to, to battle. Maybe it is, like you said, that parent that pushes. Maybe this kid you got in is a huge, uh, you know, talent in the high school levels that is a top recruit and their life is dependent upon being successful in their next tournament so that they can secure that scholarship. Like that's a big deal to a lot of people. Someone to understand the longevity and the importance is going to be a necessity. So like I said, working together, huge piece of the equation. All right. So let's now transition into probably the topic that everybody wants us here to talk about is, is related to sports and comparing, you know, college, high school, youth sports. And then again, where our role is on the physical therapy side uh, of helping to manage those symptoms. So I, I, I know you have a couple stats that are fairly earth shattering for people and, but shouldn't really be that surprising. Um, so that's kind of where I want to spend the next couple of minutes is on that more the quote unquote youth sports side. Yeah. And, you know, as Dan alluded to earlier, not all concussions are created equal. He gave examples of a couple of individuals that had some very severe concussions and you can't always be certain, but a lot of times those take a longer recovery and can be more challenging. And I've repeatedly talked about people having multiple concussions and I'm defining multiple as literally two or more, but don't readily assume that just because they don't report a concussion previously doesn't mean they haven't had one previously. They are showing, and I said earlier to start the podcast, you know, CDC was estimating upwards of 3.8 million concussions, but there's still a lot of research out there saying that we think concussions are massively underdiagnosed. Uh, and looking at athletes in particular, there's some interesting research looking at a youth athlete versus a high school athlete versus a collegiate athlete. Um, the individuals most likely to take the appropriate time off and most likely to seek out uh, care were college athletes. And I think a lot of that is just because we now are putting stricter regimens in place with uh, doctors, specialists, et cetera, being involved in teams and not letting players go back too quickly. So then it kind of comes down to who's the more likely individual to sneak through the cracks, the high school or the, the youth being younger than high school. And they actually showed in, in uh, research it was frequently the high schoolers that were the ones slipping through more frequently. Because when you look at the concussion symptoms – uh, other than dizziness or vomiting or something very obvious, <laughs> a lot of times you're looking at subtle changes, focus issues, uh, personality changes, mood changes, difficulty with uh, 
regular sleep patterns. And what we frequently saw, or at least what the a lot of authors were estimating or uh, assuming was when you're looking at a middle school or younger, the parents were more likely to be very protective of their pride and joy. So if they noticed any issue at all, they were immediately seeking out medical attention. In fact, frequently they were showing uh, for certain symptoms being reported Kids with concussions were reporting, you know, things like focus issues and personality changes and sleep pattern changes 40, 50, 60 percent of the time. Parents are reporting all of them 95, 96, 99 percent of the time. Plus, again, it goes down to that protective parent type of thing. Once you get to high school, unfortunately, the reality of it is high school kids are high, they're teenagers. Mood swings happen. You don't need a concussion for a mood swing in high school. You know, you need a concussion to have a really strange sleeping pattern in high school. And also, you might be less likely to complain of issues, complain of symptoms. You're running into coaches, and I don't want to say all coaches in high school are bad, but a lot of times they're not as educated on the recovery of the health pieces as a college coach is required to be. They might not have the support or even the money (laughs) to get the support that collegiate programs have. So individuals are more frequently going back to sport immediately, taking their entire course or case course load class load, sorry, um, that they would typically have doing all the normal homework and not getting symptoms. So a lot of times the high schoolers are, are slipping through the cracks for individuals and not receiving the treatment that they need. And again, if you look at them particularly, they might have had a couple of small concussions earlier. Suddenly you're running into a very challenging environment for them. Yeah. So I think that, you know, uh, our role in, in that from a high school standpoint is we might be seeing that person for something unrelated to neck shoulder head pain, right? We may be seeing them for a sprained ankle or, you know, they they had a post-op ACL or something that's traditionally sent to physical therapy and we start to garner that information. It is our professional obligation to reach out to their athletic trainer at their given high school and say, look, um, have you gotten a baseline test on this person? Yeah. Okay. Can you test them again? Because I'm seeing some things that don't seem like they're adding up. Um, and how can we go about that from a health of this patient? Because there's so many things that we don't want to have be a detriment later on. And, and that's our professional responsibility. Um, you know, as I was, again, preparing for this podcast, I reached out to Tasha Anderson, who's an athletic trainer here in, in Scottsdale. And, you know, her and I were just making sure that I was on the same page. And in the state of Arizona... Um, for the Arizona Interscholastic Activities Association, all contact athletes are required to have baseline testing. Um, some schools, I think, go above and beyond and just say, you know what, we're going to do it for all athletes, whether they're contact or not, because you never know. I mean, you're on the golf course, you could get smoked by a golf, an air golf ball, right? You could get hit in the back of the head playing tennis, even though it's not a contact sport. It can happen. The likelihood, obviously, is a lot smaller than football, baseball, softball, soccer. Um, but, but it can happen. Um, and then just for our listeners here in the state of Arizona and for all listeners, I want you guys to check your, your high school state law to see if you are allowed to make return to play calls in the state of Arizona. Us as licensed physical therapists are not, but that doesn't mean that we can't be a part of their care team. Um, so I think that that's something huge to think about. And, you know, if going back to what Paul is talking about, the college versus high school versus youth sport, that youth sport may not have an athletic trainer involved. 
So they may be coming to you as physical therapists first. I mean, we're lucky here in Phoenix where we have some designated concussion centers where they have specialists there that is a great care team of athletic trainer, physical therapist, and medical team that that is involved. But those facilities can't care for everybody that gets diagnosed with a concussion, especially youth related, right? So that's where that they are going to be reaching out to us as, as physical therapists and as potentially even vestibular therapists to be involved in this athlete's care. Um, so I, I think that that's a huge stat and, and, and something for us to not only be aware of, but also drive from an educational standpoint. Uh, and from the PT side, uh, you know, Dan, Dan hit it dead on, you know, you are helping educate, are you educating the parent, are you getting them involved, are you talking to the doctor, talking to ATC? And like you said, you're required for a lot of contact sports to have a baseline. But they're doing a better job across the board of some, but it might not exist, but at least getting the right people involved. I do want to take a minute to talk about something I, I find kind of interesting too, and that's going to be a little bit of the end game. So Dan said exactly, we are not in Arizona as PTs allowed to make the return to sport decision. Well, obviously, or at least we should be pretty heavily involved in getting them back to the challenge of their sports-specific activities, and they're reporting that back to the doctor or the other individuals in charge to say, hey, this is what they're doing. Are they good to go? Part of our role does exist to prepare them for their sport, get them back to full sport. So I do want to talk about a difference in one of the more common concussion sports, and that's soccer. So football is the most common, for anyone that's wondering. But football is typically boys. It's like tackle. There are some girls that play, but it's typically a male sport. Um, soccer is going to be the most common sport for concussion, and that obviously has a good number of boys and girls. And there is a significant difference they've shown uh, in literature as far as how boys and how girls work with headers. So I should put as a disclaimer, uh, I am seeing more and more frequently uh, states having rules in rec leagues and youth leagues where you cannot practice headers, cannot hit headers. Uh, some are saying nothing 14 and under. I've seen some that I think are nothing 10 and under and then minimal from 10 to 14, I believe. Yeah, that is correct. Which, this makes it even more important. So once you get to high school, depending on how good the coach and the staff is, they may or may not have any idea how to actually head a soccer ball, which is a pretty important part of soccer. So they might need some training on things and there are some differences. So they looked in research between uh, men and women and looking at how they prepared for taking a force to the head, a, a known force, a purposeful force. So again, a header in soccer. Um, and they noticed that females were more likely to have a concussion, statistically significantly more likely to have a concussion than males with soccer, particularly in headers in this occasion. So look to see, is there anything we could look at for physiological difference as far as why? Well, what they found was that Males in general had greater neck musculature, strength, etc. The, the, the typical things, and again, not always, but what you often see. But there are some interesting things they found in how women prepare. So the females they were seeing were firing musculature much earlier than men. So if we're talking about, you know, you see the cross coming in and you're making your run, you're preparing to hit the ball right before contact, the male's starting to stabilize their neck so their head can actually hit the ball and head it wherever they're trying to, you know, head towards. Women were preparing much earlier. They were firing the muscles much earlier. And they were firing them to a much higher level than the males. They hypothesized this might just be because there's less muscle mass, whatever, etc. But it just tended to be a thing they found across gender. Why does this matter? Well, let's think of a 90-minute soccer match. 
if you are constantly firing muscles much earlier and to a much higher intensity over and over and over and over, what's going to happen in the 75th minute, in the 80th minute, in the 85th minute? You're fatigued. Bingo. That fatigue makes you much more likely to have an issue. Now, yes, this can't prevent that time when you run into someone or the incidental things that happen. But helping individuals understand how to prepare their neck for a header, help them understand, are they firing the muscles at the appropriate time? Are they firing at the appropriate intensity? And that's just practice, quite honestly. That's getting a soccer ball out, doing gentle tosses, and letting them practice actually heading the ball and think consciously about what muscles are firing, when they're firing, how are they stabilizing, are they using things correctly? Because particularly post-trauma, the individual is even more protective of their body, and that makes them more at risk over the course of the match to have an issue. And that could lead to problems. So again, a role in physical therapy is returning to the sport, but also appreciate what are the sport specifics and oftentimes gender specifics that change what the actual challenges for the individual is. So I think that's a brilliant point and something that often is forgotten when we program physical therapy exercises across the board, mm-hmm. right? Not just related to somebody returning to as you alluded to soccer and heading the ball, but across the board of, of, at what point do we see athletes be at higher risk for injury? And it's usually when there is a fatigue component involved. So are we, from a physical therapy standpoint, programming them adequately to prepare them to go back to that activity, right? And and so I think I think that's a whole nother conversation, but it's hugely important, especially here in the in the concussion realm, because it it increases the susceptibility of a of a repeat concussion. I've even seen some therapists that will have their patients come in 30 minutes before their appointment and run on a treadmill for 30 minutes. Obviously, this is far in. Obviously, it takes the heart rate and all the things into account. But they will purposefully at least start to emulate some of the fatigue they might feel and then go through a session with that fatigue in there. And that makes a lot of sense because that's what you need in sport. You can't prepare for the unexpected, but you can certainly prepare for the challenges of the totality of an entire match, game, etc., whatever it is that you're playing across that. So you make a very, very good point. All right. Well, I think we um, we had a pretty good discussion and some really good tidbits for our for our listeners here related to managing concussions. Obviously, we didn't dive into specific treatment protocols, but more about the general ability to to catch those on you know people that come into the clinic without a diagnosis of concussion versus with a diagnosis of concussion, and how our role in physical therapy as a part of the clinical care team is, is crucial to support those individuals and return them to function, whether that is, you know, in the office setting, in the classroom and or back on the field. So thanks Paul for some great insights, some good research, um, some good clinical treatment nuggets and some things for, for our listeners to really think about and divulge in. And, and, um, so greatly appreciate your expertise on that. Thank you. Thank you. So as always, um, you know, we haven't really pushed this a lot, but we encourage you to subscribe to our podcast. <laughs> uh, that you know that that really helps us from a from a listener standpoint. So we encourage you to subscribe. I don't think we've pushed that in any of our first forty eight episodes, which is really surprising. <laughs> any of the first forty eight? No, yeah. I haven't mentioned hey. that one. <laughs> uh, you know, we're mentioning it obviously at the end of the podcast. We'll try and get better at that. Um, so we encourage you to subscribe, whether it's on iTunes, Android, um, Spotify, whatever else you're listening on. But as always, if you have any questions, comments, feedback, please do not hesitate to email us at therapistinmotion at spoonerpt.com. Thanks and have a great day.